Red Ink, a podcast that peers into the industry of news, topics concerning the First Amendment, and the work journalists are doing to make a difference. I'm your host, Nicholas Erickson, a former journalist and student of rhetoric. In this episode, I interviewed James Lambert, a journalist who took to the task of debunking conspiracies involving the JFK assassination. In addition to talking about his work involving the JFK assassination, we also end up talking about harmful ramifications involving conspiracies, the culture that draws these theorists in, ways to spot a ridiculous conspiracy, and healthy outlets to do their research on instead. I had a lot of fun recording this episode. It was very insightful to kind of peer into the world of conspiracy theorists, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Red Ink Podcast. Joining me today is James K. Lambert, who has made a documentary surrounding the JFK assassination, which is part of a larger movement called NoMagicBullets.org. James, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me on. So I always like to get a little bit of background on who is joining the show. So tell us a little bit about your career and if you could kind of end with the, what sparked the interest in creating this documentary. Um, Sure. So I guess my career path kind of wandered for a while. I graduated in high school in 1990 and went into the army, found out my back was a mess and they told me to go home and, uh, kind of wandered around. I went into the CD-ROM business when people didn't know what CD-ROMs were and um, had some fun and some adventures. Finally went back to school in the late 90s and uh, got undergraduate degree in Minnesota, got a graduate degree in Texas, and focused on documentary filmmaking, worked on a film in Texas that went to Sundance, and uh, spent most of my time in higher education teaching about mass media since then. Mm -hmm. But as far as my interest in the Kennedy assassination, that started when I was a kid and first started to hear these rumors about conspiracy. And I was telling my friends back when we were like, you know, in the 70s or early 80s, I had seen this stuff and they were like, what are you talking about? You know, they didn't hear anything. We were just kids. By the time Oliver Stone's film came out in 1991, then people were like, oh, yeah, you were right. You know, that, that this is a conspiracy. And I, I, you know, I was kind of with it. We were all in it together for a while. And then finally, in the late 90s, I went down to Dealey Plaza myself. And I, you know, I knew the whole layout of the place. I stood where Zapruder had, had stood when he took his famous film. And the whole place looked really different when you're there. It's so much smaller. And I looked over it. I'm like, well, there's the fence with the famous grassy knoll. Mm-hmm. Like if somebody was shooting there, not only would Zapruder see it, but so many other people would see it. Mm-hmm. And there's no place to run to. You know, I'm like, this stuff doesn't seem to work out the way the conspiracy theorist told me. <laughs> mm-hmm. And finally, I, I realized, you know, I had never really looked at the evidence. I had only looked at what the conspiracy theorist said about the evidence. Right. And so I started to really question it then. And by the time of the 50th anniversary, I decided to do this film a few years ago where I actually went and confronted people in Dealey Plaza. And, you know, why do you believe this stuff? 
but I found most of them just believe, you know, certain key lies that some conspiracy theorists have told them. They really haven't looked at the evidence either. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that that's a problem that's kind of going on in news at large sometimes is that people kind of are chasing the sensational story. And um, I think in this case, people just liked believing it was appealing somehow to believe that there was this grander scheme going on and perhaps that you could diagnose other problems that were going on on a national level um, with this specific incident. You know, perhaps it could indicate several other uh, places and areas of corruption. Um, so what did you kind of find were some of their pieces of evidence that they're questioning as you're kind of interviewing those people? Well, kind of the great thing for conspiracy theorists about the Kennedy assassination is it fits anything they want. Mm -hmm. So if you're on the right or you're on the left, whatever your politics, whatever you think the boogeyman is out there, you can make it work for this. You know, I've had people who focus on the CIA, Texas oil men, um, the Israelis, the mafia, you know, whoever they want to hate or want to fear, or, you know, mm -hmm. they can latch on to. But they do seem to go to certain, you know, key alleged evidence. Uh, one of them is the so-called magic bullet, mm -hmm. which is why I use that name, magic bullet org for a website because people are so convinced that you know this one bullet somehow magically zigzags through Kennedy and Connolly mm -hmm. and this is a lie that's been repeated for for many years it first started in a book in 1980 and Oliver Stone really popularized it with his dramatic presentation and Kevin Costner has his courtroom scene showing this zigzagging bullet but what the truth is they deliberately misplaced the, the orientation of the two men in the car in relationship mm -hmm. to the shooter mm -hmm. so that it looks like the bullet has to zig and zag. Mm -hmm. If you put the two men the way they actually were, right. then straight line right through both men. But right. so many people have never looked at that. They just have heard a magic bullet and they're like, oh, well, obviously it's a conspiracy because you couldn't have a magic bullet. Yeah, and I think that that's evidence that people are quite okay with hearing that and uh, not only accepting it as factual, but also a willingness to spread that without fact-checking it. Because obviously this gained a lot of steam um, and that, that once this uh, movie was out there that people are willing to kind of keep sharing that um, and perpetuate it without a concern for whether it's true or not. Yeah, and you know, similar with the uh, with the headshot that kills Kennedy, you know, that back into the left oh, is a big yeah. part of right. of JFK film, mm -hmm. and and I've had you know many people tell me this this it defies the laws of physics. What you cover in the documentary? Yeah, there's actually a Nobel Prize winning physicist who did an experiment proving that if a bullet enters the back of your skull, it makes a tiny little hole, it barely pushes your head. You hardly would even notice it. But when the bullet exits your head and all this brain matter comes out, he called it the jet effect. It's like a jet engine blowing your head back because mm -hmm. everything's coming out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's perfectly in line with the laws of physics why Kennedy's head would go back. But 
people don't take the time to just look that extra step. And, you know, there are several times, and I have to admire your work in, in doing this because even just you describing this right now, to, to dive this deep into it, did it get a little bit, um, you know, dark at times in doing this research? And, and you know, I mean, because you're just talking about like blowing the head and then it like jet propulsion the head back. And it's like, this stuff is kind of gruesome. And to dive this deep into it, what was that emotional experience like? Yeah, it, sometimes you feel, I mean, when you first watch this stuff, you're like, oh, this is horrific. And then you, it starts to just become a common thing you're looking at. And you have to kind of remind yourself, no, this is this is a man getting murdered, you know? Like, yeah. This isn't just, uh, you know, this isn't something academic. You know? Yeah, and this isn't a movie either. Like, this is not right. CGI. This is a real footage of, of a man um, being kind of in, uh, I mean... I don't want to say grotesquely, but I mean, the image is, I mean, his head almost blows up and I hate to like put, you know, use too much time on it, but I mean, for, to, to watch that over and over and over again, as some of these conspiracy theorists do, um, I almost have to wonder if, if the footage itself just being out there and being so surreal um, kind of plays into the sensational, um, the sensationalism around this case besides its intrigue and I mean it's it's it was a powerful enough event itself but I mean just the fact that it was all caught on tape and yes. um and so out there and and it was really a, a hard thing to watch you know and that's something that really struggled with the people who investigated this the, the Warren Commission mm -hmm. um they ultimately Earl Warren the Chief Justice decided not to put any autopsy photos in their right. report right. because he didn't want that sensationalistic and he didn't want them like right. reproduced in the public and mm -hmm. just you know what that would do to the kennedy family now a lot of those photos have leaked out right but that's just given more fuel to the to the conspiracy theorists while they hid the autopsy photos sure no they sure. described them but they didn't show them just because they tried to be sensitive to the family right and and I think that's something that can be quickly overlooked too, um, unfortunately. Um, so I think the term conspiracy theorists nowadays has been kind of warped and, and there's no real concrete definition for it any longer. So, you know, kind of after doing some of this work, um, what do you define as a conspiracy theorist and, you know, do you kind of think all conspiracy theories are false or where does your kind of lines uh, line up? Yeah, it is difficult because the, anytime somebody says like, you know, oh, I think that, you know, these senators deliberately withheld this document from a committee or something, then you hear, oh, conspiracy theory. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I don't really think that, you know, a couple of senators pocketing a document for a couple of days so that the public doesn't see it until the right moment is really a conspiracy theory, but it just gets thrown around like that. Anytime anybody does anything mm -hmm. to me, the, the thing I'm talking about when I talk about a conspiracy theory is, you know, if I walked up to a, street, a person on the street and just said, name a conspiracy theory, they would say something like the Kennedy assassination, the moon landing, 9-11 being faked, the Holocaust being faked, you know, something really huge right. that would take a massive amount of power to pull off and it would have to be, you know, 
kind of an endless multi-generational thing where you'd have to rely on people who weren't even born yet to continue on the conspiracy for you. Right. And those kinds of things I think are absolutely false. I've never found a single example in history where there is this multi-generational kind of conspiracy that can successfully cover something up and redo the evidence over and over again and rehide stuff over and over again. The kind of stuff you see in the movies all the time, but does not happen in real life. And that's not the same as, you know, like a couple of people getting together and saying, you know, maybe we should poison his coffee or something. That's, that's a conspiracy, but right. it's two people. Not, including. Not a, it's not a grandiose thing like shooting somebody in public and having one shooter be blamed, but then having multiple shooters and having to get them all away and having to pay all of them and having none of them ever talk and having to fake the autopsy and having to, you know, like there's just so many layers of something like the Kennedy assassination that it becomes impossible to maintain. Mm -hmm. um, those are the kinds of things I'm talking about as a conspiracy theory, you know, or like bringing down the, the World Trade Center with explosives and somehow mm -hmm. Um, nobody noticed the explosives going in and nobody, you know, nobody right. who transported the explosives ever talked and, you know, all these things that just would be too complex to do. Those are conspiracy theories. Mm -hmm. So it kind of steps beyond, because I believe without a dictionary in front of me, a conspiracy is two people colluding. It's right. just two people. So you're talking about a web of, of, nefarious actions and and coercing together um those are the things that you're kind of working to um yes. to speak some truth to yeah and in in typically involving some assumed secret power mm -hmm. be it the military industrial complex right. or the um federal reserve burgers or the yeah. masons or whoever right. you know, in the world right <laughs> So you, you mentioned that there's a lot of layers um, to these different stories. And I'm curious to know if you think that the report on the, the JFK assassination was the unbridled truth. Um, and if, if, we, if it's wise for the government to give us the unbridled truth when they're doing these investigations. Um, and also, if it's even possible, if, if there's idiosyncrasies within... Um, things like an assassination that are even possible to uncover every single detail. Right. I, I think a lot of people, you know, they, they don't realize how nothing is 100% known. You know, mm -hmm. anything in history, is, there's going to be flaws with it. And you can see that, um, I always go to the extreme, which is Holocaust denial, the people who, you know, latch onto that. They can find problems in the historical record. You know, they, they can find discrepancies between different eyewitnesses of what happened in the concentration camps. And then they point at it and say, well, then it's probably all made up. Well, no, that's <laughs> people going through a traumatic event, remember it differently. That doesn't mean that anything is made up about it. And that's the thing in, in the Kennedy assassination, the, there's a one volume report that the Warren Commission released, and then there's 27 other volumes of just like interviews and um, all this research that they did, all these, every little thing from the bullet fragments to the bus ticket that was in Oswald's pocket to every little thing they found and they put in there. 
-hmm. So yeah, you can go through those 27 volumes and you can find discrepancies because it's hard to piece together every little fact and make it exactly perfectly work, especially when you start getting into people's memories of what happened. Right. There was one lady that um, she later became a big conspiracy person and people latched onto her as, you know, somehow evidence that she saw what she saw that day fit into the conspiracy. But on that day, when the police first questioned her, she said that she was sure she saw a little dog in the car with Kennedy. You know, and nobody, there was never a dog. It was like, um, but what happened to the dog? Yeah, people, (laughs) something pops into their head and it's such a traumatic moment that you, you might think you saw something and it might feel so real because it was such a powerful moment. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, you can always find things that don't quite add up. Mm-hmm. But that the total volume of everything that, that they found, there's just no way that, you know, the, the spot that Oswald shot from is the only spot that lines up with all of the wounds and the ballistic evidence and everything, even down to the fact that right below Oswald, on the next floor below, there were three guys watching from the window below Oswald. Mm-hmm. And when he shot his weapon, the like stucco from the ceiling fell down in their hair, you know, so they had those white flakes in their hair, you know, everything lines up with him being the shooter right there. Mm -hmm. Um, Detail after detail. And so, yes, overall, the Warren Commission got it right. And in fact, Congress years later in the late seventies reinvestigated this. Mm -hmm. And that's what conspiracy theorists really love is the fact that Congress thought they found a piece of evidence that proved a conspiracy. But the, the most important point is everything that Congress investigated about the Warren Commission, they agreed with. They agreed that one bullet hit Kennedy and Connolly, that one bullet blew the president's head, and that bullet, that both those bullets were fired from Oswald. Everything lined up with what the Warren Commission found. But they found a recording that the Warren Commission did not have access to. It was just an old police recording in the Dallas basement where an open mic on a police um, radio heard crackling sounds. And they said that those crackling sounds were four gunshots. Mm-hmm. And based on that evidence, they said there, there was likely a second shooter. Mm-hmm. So if you believe the congressional report, you have to believe that Oswald still killed Kennedy and that everything was the same as the Warren Commission report, but that one other person fired one bullet from another location and missed completely and then got away without us ever finding them. Mm -hmm. And so you can believe that it's pretty unlikely, but you can believe that. And the, the problem is that subsequent investigations of that recording have proved that the recording was made after the president's limousine left the area. If you listen to in the background, you can hear the um, chief of police of Dallas saying, run up into the train yard, the area behind the grassy knoll and check that area. He, he wasn't saying that until minutes after the assassination was, was over. So whatever those crackling sounds are, they're not gunshots. Mm-hmm. But even if you wanted to believe that Congress had gotten it right, you'd still have to believe that Oswald did the shooting entirely and that there was just some other random shooter who took a shot. <laughs> you know, yeah. you'd still have no evidence of a conspiracy. 
Yeah, and I think what came to my mind is is that you can it really just the same way with any data set, the way that you look at it and the, what you're looking for can vastly affect how you link the things together. Um, so you could be looking at these objective facts and then if you're, if you're looking to link them up in some way, you, your brain can make a pathway to do that. And that's just an argument to be made. And I think unfortunately, what's become popular is that, that it's formed this separate set of media uh, within, the, within our information uh, systems where this is just uh, this odd genre of um, people that I don't, I don't know what their orientation to facts is that where they, they just kind of want to, I don't know if they're just kind of rebellious or something and they just don't want to believe a common narrative. So this is kind of like a, a space where they can be and enact that rebelliousness and just, and have a community based around, around that attitude. Um, or if it is just maybe an educational matter, like this is, and they also feel like this is their form of participation. Um, but it is, it's, it's unfortunate that it's kind of gained this much steam to look for facts in this way, because in some ways, and I'd like to hear your opinion on this, I, I think that there's a value in challenging the narrative that's being told to us because I think that there might be things sometimes um, that aren't 100% true. Uh, there might, and especially it might start to happen if we don't challenge them. I think that we need to put pressure on our government to give us good information because we will challenge it because um, we'll look through with a critical eye on what we're being told. So with that in mind, you know, um, do you think there's some value in challenging the narrative we're told and, and where does that line kind of, uh, where can we draw that line between genuinely searching through and critically analyzing what's told to us and creating harmful conspiracy theories that are misleading others? Yeah, it, it, it can be difficult to know the exact line, but I, I think, you know, something like Watergate is a perfect example of a real conspiracy um actually like most conspiracies there's really two conspiracies there's a there's a conspiracy to commit a crime and then often there's a conspiracy to try to cover up a crime and they're two different things and so like in watergate you had some people in president nixon's administration decide let's go bug the democrats headquarters and they tried to do that and they failed then as far as the evidence shows they involved the president and said well, we had some people get caught. What should we do about it? And the president said, let's try to bury it. So then the president got involved saying, let's cover up what you tried to do. And so there are you know, two separate conspiracies there. <clears throat> and it actually took quite a while. People think, in hindsight, they think Watergate was just you know, like, oh, it just blew up in the president's face. No, the president got reelected with great popular support during the initial phase of the questioning of Watergate and what happened. Mm -hmm. It, was, it wasn't, into, it wasn't until a while in his, into his second term that the questions upon questions upon questions started to reveal something. And so 
it is difficult to know at what point you stop questioning, you accept something. But I, I really think that if you have something that's investigated by hundreds of people, like the Kennedy assassination was, mm -hmm. where you have both Republicans and Democrats, you have people from the judiciary branch, the executive branch, the legislative branch, you have people from national, state, and local law enforcement. You know, if you're going to involve that many people to do something, there's no way to control that many people and make them all get onto the same page. If you're right. simply questioning, if you're simply questioning the president and his staff, then that that's a tight knit group. You know, that could take a while to break in and know what the truth is. Mm -hmm. But if you're the, the larger the group gets, the more likely you are to get a real answer. You know, you're you're not going to get the everybody from the chief justice to on the Supreme Court to the beat cop in Dallas to all say the same thing mm -hmm. unless the same thing is true. Right. So, so just to to recap what you just said, so the the difference and where we can draw the line in, in investigating conspiracy theories is when there's multiple layers of people and fact-checking one another and there's checks and balances um, between when there's a solid group where all this information can kind of be contained. Yes. That seems actually quite useful as a, as a heuristic for engaging in this type of investigation because I do think it's valuable um, to up to a certain point. Um, so I'm curious, you know, do you do other research into other conspiracies? Is this kind of like a, a, a hobby of yours? Uh, and, and if so, which, you know, do you find kind of funny um, and amusing? Um, well, I think, you know, the funny, the funniest is the flat earth people. <laughs> yes. I mean, I don't know how many of them there really are, but they've actually had like conventions. So, <laughs> Where you, yeah, you know, I've seen YouTube videos of conventions, you know, and so I mean, anybody can have a convention, but still, even to get a few hundred people to come out and Sorry. say, We think the earth is flat, like that, that is amazing to me that you could do that. Um, but what I found, and this is what, what is really scary, is that anytime you get these people who are willing to believe something really out there, then it starts to leak into other stuff. Right. I remember I was watching one YouTube video where they went to a flat earth convention and they're, um, you know, asking people stuff like, well, why do you believe the flat earth and stuff? And then they're also kind of like, what else do you believe? And the guy said something like, well, I know we were on the wrong side in World War II. Yeah. You know? And yeah. <laughs> and other, th other things, I mean, um, I've even heard crazy ones like dinosaurs were faked like that we like planted dinosaur bones um to push the narrative of uh scientism over creationism and that's and i think you're right i think that it often does generate into other things because it becomes such of this community and i i think what happens is is once a community feels pressure like social pressure uh, that actually tightens them together like it doesn't like disperse them like the social pressure might hope 
uh, but it really actually like makes them bond together closer and closer. And then when they have that closeness, uh, they have to have something that defines their bond sort of, and they don't, I don't think know each other on very personal levels where they can say like, Hey, how's your mom and have other conversations like that. So what do they talk about more conspiracy theories? And I think it just gets crazy and crazy and crazier because I think what they're chasing is this odd sort of cognitive dissonance based on the sensationalism of these, all these connections like that they think that they're making. I think that there's this, you know, perhaps like a dopamine hit when, when they think that they're connecting these dots, because I think that that's a natural reaction when humans solve puzzles. Like, you know, I play several puzzle games and anyone that does Sudoku or anything, there's, there's this satisfaction when you solve something. And then I think that when they get together and they think that they're solving something, um, that it, it can build communities around it and it can make things like the flat earth, even though, it's completely from the outside perspective viewed uh, as kind of crazy and out there um, that almost makes them double down because they're like, well, I'm the only one that knows the truth kind of. Um, and they also have that, that dopamine reaction where they're like, Oh, I've already felt the satisfaction of having solved it and pieced everything together. And you're just the sheep that, um, that's, that can't figure it out. And is just, uh, is consuming endlessly the, the narrative that's fed to you. Um, yeah, so that is unfortunate. What's that? People love to feel superior. Like I'm the one who knows and you, exactly. Cause you don't. Know. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, do you, do you believe in any conspiracies or what, you know, what are some conspiracies out there that you wish that these people might want to talk about rather than, you know, kind of pointless ones or, um, maybe even harmful ones. Um, well, I'm amazed that that uh, so much of the Republican Party today, you know, the who still glorify Ronald Reagan, is just wanting to look the other way and say, well, yeah, the Russians, you know, have been trying to mess with our elections, but you know, we 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 don't want to taint Trump any further, so let's just look the other way, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, even taking Trump out of the equation, I would think that more people would be concerned about what the Russians are doing. And, yes. you know, there, there really is something going on there. They really are trying to mess with us. Uh, how serious a threat it is, I don't know, because not enough people are taking it seriously. Mm -hmm. um, and like I said, even taking Trump out of the equation, it's not about... Oh, what Trump did or didn't do. It's about the fact that we have hard evidence of what Russians did. And we want to know how to stop that. Now, that is a real conspiracy that we should try to stop. And so many people just want to ignore it. Yeah, and that one, I mean, and that's actually one with some, some legs behind it too. I mean, because there have been tensions between us and Russia that have, you know, haven't been as severe as the Cold War, but you know, if you wanted to go down that kind of rabbit hole, so to speak, um, as a conspiracy theorist, you could um, at least probably uncover some more true things about how the tensions maybe have uh, not so much ceased um, as as a as it appears on a um, to the public eye. Yeah, 
I mean, I don't think people realize how much somebody like Vladimir Putin really resents the West and yeah. sees that, that, you know, yeah, the Soviet system failed, but then feels like, like we kind of took advantage of them and betrayed them and didn't help them have a good transition into something else and came to think that he had to oppose us. You know, he, I think he really, as a nationalist leader who believes in the Russian people and the Russian nation, I think he really has a passionate hatred of the United States that he feels, you know, we made wrong steps or maybe deliberately bad steps after the Soviet Union fell apart. And, you know, he is very motivated to get back at us for that. Yeah, and I, I, I think that it's just two, I mean, they're two world superpowers. Um, and, and I think that if you kind of like almost put it into like a social situation that we've all been in in like high school, like if you're like, a jock or something and then there's like this other jock over there you know your two world superpowers and there's one that's just constantly i mean the u.s still is like we're the best country in the world and just like um like why don't you come like take it from us or something like that and for a lot of reasons i mean we kind of still are but like do we need to be like that and do we need to i mean it is kind of baked into american culture but if you're vladimir putin who um you know, from an American perspective is a, is a, um, a scary person and a person with a lot of power, but I, I, I don't know many people that would, I think that he does everything he can for the Russian people for better or for worse, using all the skills and, and background that he has. He has a, a questionable past, but I mean, to, to guard himself so he can keep doing the things I think for, for the Russian people. Um, so I think that, that the fact that he does all these things for his people make him kind of a good leader and he's strategic. He's a good speaker, um, kind of all the qualities that you're looking for, um, in that leader. So if you're him and you're trying to navigate your way through this geopolitical, um, landscape, you're, you're looking over at the U S and you're like, man, that really annoys me. <laughs> like, and, 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 and too, like, you know, this, you were kind of on top for a while and you had this thing going and, and uh, you feel that the U S might have shortchanged you. And yeah, I, I, I can see that as a recipe for um, so a bad relationship between nations. And I, I certainly do think as well, I a hundred percent agree that there's, there's something to be explored there. And that is an area where you actually, some of these people can be, you know, maybe using their time um, and investigating, um, because I think popularly too, I don't, I don't hear it talked about much um, among my friends who talk about politics and stuff like that often. Um, it's not a very popular um, subject. I don't know if you experience any different, but this is something that they can kind of maybe be a catalyst for in, in sparking conversation rather than, uh, you know, the flat earth or, uh, UFOs being in Area 51 or something like that. Yeah, and you know, unfortunately, we get caught up in this kind of, you know, I mean, reality TV world, which, yeah, you know, large reason I think why Donald Trump got elected. You know, it's on a planet. 
100% agree. You know, we're now arguing about Trump this or Trump that, rather than the other bigger issues. You know, right. like, you know, we, we argue about Trump's political tactics with tariffs or something, rather than our larger relationship with China. Yep. You know, we we get concentrated on the the kind of reality TV show. How does this look for Trump, rather than the bigger issues? Uh, same thing with you know, like immigration. It's not so much about what should we do about immigration. It's how is Trump using immigration? You know, it it just becomes the this kind of reality TV moment of mm -hmm. his celebrity and is this going working well for his celebrity or not, rather than what do we do about the actual immigration issue? You know, we get focused on the tiny part rather than the whole. Absolutely. Uh, so James, we're getting kind of close to time. So I have um, a question that we ask all of our guests here on this show. Um, and it probably stood out to you as a little bit odd um, uh, in the pre-interview process. Uh, but if you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? Um, wow. I guess I'd like to know, I don't not necessarily want to read people's minds because I think you get a lot of stuff you don't want to know about. You could turn it on and off perhaps, you know? Yeah, turn it on and off, but especially just know if somebody's telling the truth or not. You know, all about the truth mm -hmm. and you have to do a lot to, sometimes to figure out the truth. It'd be nice to just know, to just look at you and go, okay, you're telling the truth. <laughs> do you think that that would, because I mean, that sounds like they would get you in a, you know, a lot of clarity on some stuff, but do you think that that's one that you might regret down the line? Or just like, <laughs> Maybe. Like, do I, do, do these jeans look good on me? <laughs> Yeah, and maybe maybe those are situations where you just choose not to use it. You're just like, you know what? I don't care if these jeans look good on me. I just want you to lie to me. Um, okay, so how can our audience uh, tune into this documentary and kind of follow your journey um, as you go along and, and kind of do more of these documentaries? Okay, so the documentary right now is for sale or rent on Amazon through their video service. And you can go to jameskaylambert.com to learn more about me and things I'm trying to do. And also I've been increasingly adding to um, nomagicbullets.org where I'm mostly concentrating on facts disputing conspiracy stuff. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, so check out those links. Uh, they'll be in the summary of this episode james thank you so much for joining us it's been a pleasure thank you very much for what you're doing all right take care hey reader nation thank you so much for listening to this installment of the red ink podcast we truly appreciate all of the support from our audience and if you'd like to continue to support the show, you can give this show a five-star rating, which really helps us be found by new listeners. You can also share this episode on social media. And speaking of social media, you can follow our journey in improving the way we interact with the news on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn.
We have a lot more great content planned, so if you haven't subscribed already, be sure to do so to stay up to date on our newest episodes.